you're like me and have found this pandemic and its many, many lockdowns to be the perfect time to dive headfirst into film photography, or maybe you've been shooting films since before it was cool, back when freedom was legal, you've probably explored the multitude of ways to convert your analog shots to digital. Having extensively tested the flatbed method to a frustrating and fruitless end, I was keen to switch to the camera plus macro lens method that's been recommended to me by so many photographers, both on and off of the podcast. After scouring the market, I discovered a fantastic, multi-format, high-quality, cost-effective solution for securing my film and diffusing the light underneath it, allowing me to photograph it effectively. Its frame, range of interchangeable gates, and light diffuser make it possible to digitally photograph your film quickly and, most importantly to me, to a high standard. It allows you to scan 35mm, 120 and even 4x5. Visit pixel-later.com, that's P-I-X-L-L-A-T-R.com to find out more and get your own. Also check them out on Instagram, tell them that I sent you, and a massive thanks to Pixelator for supporting the podcast. Before we got started, I brought up the fact that I'm in awe of beauty photography in general. I find, obviously, that the amount of time and skill that goes into each image to be a little bit overwhelming for someone at my skill level. Um, I'm always in awe of people that can produce fantastic work like yours. There's obviously levels as well to photography. People are nervous about getting their first camera and then they're nervous about photographing their first person. And then there's all of the various levels of being terrified of retouching and so on. And all of that <laughs> is encompassed in beauty photography, which is terrifying. Uh, before we talk about how scary your job is, um, let's just start off with why you picked up a camera in the first place. So what made you want to be a photographer? Well, actually, I mean, starting from middle school, I really wanted to be like a fictional writer. That was kind of what my goal was. I pursued that up until like my senior year of high school. And I just took a photography class because I had to do an art elective. And it just kind of went from there. And I was kind of at that, that point where I had done so much writing and really concentrated on English. And I don't know if it just kind of fizzled out or I just decided to take it into another creative direction. So I just took a class and I kind of just fell in love with it. And from there, just pursued it in college. And that that was that. So it was just really, I just stumbled upon it and I just fell in love with it. And I just haven't stopped since then. What was it that made you want to photograph your first person? Because something that I hear so often from people that are sort of just entering photography or even people that have been doing it for a while is that photographing people can be kind of a bit of an intimidating step because there's a bit of judgment coming back at you from what you're photographing. You feel like you have to be a certain way and it could just be an overwhelming thing. So what made you want to photograph people for the first time? I think it was really just kind of the thrill of it. And I do get like anxious and I still even now get anxious. And I really started out at just photographing my friends and they, you know, when you're in an early, early college student, it's kind of fun to get your photos taken. So everyone was kind of along for the ride. And, you know, that was during the time of MySpace and social media. So it was kind of exciting for other people to take part in that and kind of get free photos taken. But I mean, I think I was blessed to kind of start in that area and just had a lot of people be excited about it. Um, and just kind of be able to be goofy and playful. And even at that age, I think the age is a big part of that is when you're that age, you're kind of fearless and you're able to play and kind of experiment and not really feel judged about it versus now, especially when this is like my professional career, it tends to get very, um, you just get pressured a lot more and you feel it depending on obviously, you know, whether you're doing a test or shooting a celebrity or shooting a campaign. So it all feels different now versus, you know, when you first pick up a camera and you're just kind of playing. And this is a very deep question to dive in at like question number three in a podcast, but I kind of want to go there. Do you lose any of the enthusiasm or creativity that that kind of creative spark as it becomes more pressured and it becomes 
a job as opposed to an interest? Do you lose any of that enthusiasm? I don't think so. I mean, it just evolves in a different way. And the creative process changes throughout the years as you become more developed and have experimented a lot more and have done certain jobs. It it really just evolves, but it doesn't ever go away. I mean, not for me anyway. So yeah, it's just, it, it just changes throughout. And that's what I really love about the process too, because it, it never gets boring. It just always is changing and it keeps you on your toes. Every job is different. Every shoot is different, whether it, you know, uh, it's a job or it's a test shoot for myself. Um, it's, it's always just keeps me on my toes. Now you someone that works in terms of like series, do you have like maybe small projects that you work towards things that kind of constrict you or challenge you in, in particular areas, or are you just working, like you just said, I guess one job to the next and one shoot to the next and just let things evolve that way. I mean, so right now I'm kind of going to be diving into the world of still life, uh, and hand modeling shoots. Mm -hmm. Um, that's kind of my next thing. And that's not quite, you know, you've seen my work. That's not really quite what I do. I've done it before, but it's a whole new world of, you know, prop styling and, you know, all these tiny little details um, that can really change the way the photo is just by, you know, a placement of an object or um, a color theme. It's, it's going to be something different. So yeah, that's kind of like the direction I'm going into as far as like series. It's it it kind of tends to go from shoot to shoot. And it really depends on like who I'm working with, um, the talent that I might find that I'm like, oh, I want to do a shoot specifically for this person because they've inspired me to do so. Um, so it it just really kind of depends. It's just something that's quite interesting to me when people work in a commercial sense is having your own sort of recognizable identity versus being uh, malleable to all different types of clients once and being able to do a range of, of things for different people, because everyone's not going to want the same one thing, or you're going to be very restricted in who your clients are going to be. So it's, it's an interesting balance. Um, is it hard to find that balance of keeping your identity, but also being appealing to as many clients as possible? I mean, I tend to find that my clients will hire me based on my test shoots, which is why it's important to always be testing for yourself. Um, is I usually get hired based on that work, not so much on like my jobs. Like I think they'll see like the jobs is like I can technically accomplish it. Right. But um, I mean, they like they see the creativity and the test shoots where I have like that freedom to play and to kind of experiment. So now that I've got the kind of the client side of things out of the way, I, I want to dive in a little bit on you as a photographer as opposed to you as a business person. Let's start with models. Beauty obviously has uh, a lot of characteristics that are required uh, for various different reasons for what makes a good model. But just in in your own in your own words, what are you looking for from a model, especially if you're like you're mentioning test shoots there? What what faces jump out at you or what characteristics of a model jump out at you? I mean, I really love like unique features, um, like gap in your teeth or like, I mean, just like a certain unique look. Um, I always look through their portfolios too to make sure that they can move. So are they giving me the same pose? Are they giving me the same like facial expression? And a lot of the times it's yes. Like, you know, they have that one look and that's kind of their signature. And I'm not like quite looking for that. Like I want to work with someone who will give it to me, you know, and uh, give me a variety and won't be afraid to play. Um, I mean, I, I'll get like sent these like these links to all these different models. And I usually always will have like the ones just jump out at me that I just feel attracted to. Is it a case of like, when I mean, you're mentioning there people that don't move as well and something that I've mentioned before on the podcast, when it comes to photographing people, if you're looking at images of people and you're trying to figure out whether or not they work for you, I tend to look at hands 
because hands and images tell you how comfortable someone is being photographed. People train themselves to have certain expressions. It's a, it's a defensive mechanism for people in general, mm-hmm. let alone with when it comes to being around a camera. But I think hands show off a lot more about people's ability to be comfortable. Um, you're, you know, you're mentioning there like the people that have that one look or that one pose or they're kind of restricted, I guess, is probably a polite way to put it, in, in their modelling. Do you think that's a result of things like Instagram and e-commerce or what is it you think that is, is causing that issue? I think sometimes it's just like they're starting out, they're kind of green, they're stiff. Um, they haven't really found their rhythm yet. Um, it could be too. It's like their experience is the e and it's just kind of like the same poses over and over again. But mm-hmm. I mean, I'm kind of looking for like the models that almost it's like, it's almost like a dance where they have like the movement and the flow. And I've worked with um, a few models that I can just continuously just shoot and never get bored because they just bring so much to the shoot. It feels like we're doing a dance. And, you know, it's just like, there's this rhythm and there's just a communication between us. And just like the way that they're moving, it's like, I could just never ending, just be snapping photos of them and just have such a difficult time really like making the selects because they're just so beautiful. What do you like on set with regards to your directorial style? Are you someone, I mean, you're mentioning there about looking for movement. Are you quite expressive with what you're looking for? Do you give them a lot of room to figure stuff out for themselves? It's, It's always interesting to see how different personalities direct on a set. Yeah, my style for direction is more loose. So I try to give them the room to be creative on their own. And I direct them here and there. But I'm not like a photographer that tells them exactly what to do every single shot. But if they kind of need the direction and they're looking to me for it, I'll definitely give it to them. But I like like the movement. So I kind of always say, you know, do your thing and I'll, I'll follow you. So don't worry about like the pose, 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 just move. In terms of that, that balance with collaborating with other creators, or if you're working for a brand and you've got someone who's kind of in your ear about how they want things to look, they have a very specific idea of what they're looking for. Uh, you know, how do you find dealing out creative control to other people? Because I think that's something that can be a stumbling block for a lot of photographers. They want to retain a lot of control over things. And the more and more I, I do this podcast and I speak to people that work in commercial industries, the more I realize how much um, they are at or how great they are at handing out that creative input and actually working more in a collaborative sense than steering the ship on their own. Yeah, I think your keyword is collaborative. It's just, I feel that it's more, it's a collaboration and it's best to look at it in that way, you know? And I think if you kind of work well with others, they're going to be more open to your suggestions and your point of view. So even though I'm shooting an assignment and it's pretty specific, um, I mean, people, they're willing to hear your ideas and they welcome your ideas. So it, it really is like a collaboration. And lighting is obviously a huge factor. It's probably the most overlooked factor, surprisingly, with a lot of people when they first get into photographing people because they focus so much on, on the subject or they focus so much on other slightly less interesting or less important factors when actually lighting is something that should be the main focus to begin with, in my opinion. One thing that stands out with, with your work is that there's a beauty photographer that I'm a huge fan of called Julie Kosmenko, and she talks about celebrity lighting. And I feel like with your work, it has that similar look of just being, you know, definitive enough to cut features out and to really show you great geometry and great shape, but mix that with, you know, the softness of of creating a personality there, which is really hard to do. I actually think it's a really underrated skill. How long did it take you to sort of develop your own lighting style? And I guess a follow-up question is is a kind of general question for photographers. Are you, are you satisfied with where you are with your lighting or are you always looking to push it forwards? I'm always looking to push it forward. I mean, I consider photography just like a journey. There's no like end destination. Um, you know, so it's like you constantly have to push yourself. You constantly have to explore and experiment with new techniques. Um, otherwise, you know, it's just like 
I don't want my work to look the same all the time. So, I mean, and it, it gets hard too. It's like you have your go-to and, you know, you really have, I really have to push myself to not always just go to the go-to and to be experimenting or like playing with natural light too. It's kind of been my, um, my new goal is to, you know, always be finding the light. Um, I love shooting natural light because of that. It's just like, it's, it's so hard to replicate it with artificial light. It is just has this quality that it's really hard to replicate, but it's just so beautiful and so natural. Um, so I, I've been really trying to experiment with light and, you know, really push the table that way. I mean, you mentioned natural light there. And again, something that does jump out um, looking at your work is compared to a lot of beauty photographers, you do use an awful lot of natural light, which is really refreshing to see. It's really beautiful. You know, I have a slight, I think, as I mentioned before we started, I have a slight spiteful hatred towards people in California because you actually have sunlight and being over here in England, I can't quite remember what the sky looks like, but how much, uh, how much more difficult is it for you working in studio compared to natural light? Which one do you feel like you flow better in? Uh, definitely in studio, you have the control. You can basically manipulate it any way that you want with natural light. It's like, you know, I've planned a shoot for, I remember specifically it was a shoot for the Hollywood reporter and I was really banking on the natural light. Like I just was like, it's, it's going to be the shoot. Like that's how I want the lighting to feel. And guess what? It rained that day, you know? So it's like, <laughs> you really don't. And it was overcast and it was just so dreary, you know? So it's just obviously studio lighting is always going to be a, a safe bet. And that's why natural light it can be difficult too. It's just like, you know, you really have to scout your location. You really have to check the weather. You know, uh, there's like an app that I use called, I think it's called Sunseeker. Um, and it really, it like positions, it, it uses like the compass on your phone to be able to see where the sun is going to be at a certain time of day. So it's like, you really have to watch the sunlight and be at that certain location to know what you're working with and then be able to also modify the light too using silks and frames and every anything that you might need to achieve the look. Well, in terms of modifiers, that's that's a, a route I'd love to go down. And it's I tend to not talk about gear. It's just something that I think because when I came up in photography, when I first started sort of finding my way in photography, it's generally speaking, and I obviously can only speak culturally from where I am, but it's generally a lot of very frustrated men that try and buy their way out of bad photos. And I'm sure there's some women thrown in there, but generally speaking, the the usernames on the forums are, you know, not, not feminine. They're usually quite masculine names. And um, so I've got a kind of a bit of an aversion to talking about gear, but and um, when it comes to in-studio and modifiers, are you strictly beauty dish? Do you use any mixtures of hard and soft modifiers? What's, I don't want you to give away any, any secrets, but what's your thinking when it comes to modifiers? I mean, it really depends, I think, on the shoe and what the overall tone is. So, I mean, I will go beauty dish if it's like I'm looking for a harder light. Um, I'll do an umbrella with the sock for a softer light. Um, I'll, I've been trying to go into like uh like constant lighting too. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of it. so I mean it really it just like depends. It depends on the look that I'm going for. Uh but I usually work around in that area. Is the push towards constant light due to I know that you do some motion work on on your website some wonderful stuff is is that related to wanting to do some stuff more around video um than than photography? Yeah. I mean, like I really like to go into motion. It's like, it's pretty, it's hard for me to do both and be able to have like the concentration and like the length of time to do both. It's like, you have to switch gears. You know, I like working with constant light because you can see where the light hits in real time instead of having to take the photo, especially when I'm um, starting to go into still the world of still life it's like a game changer using constant lighting versus strobes 
One thing that I, I'm quite excited to have the opportunity to talk to you about uh, that I actually don't see many people do the way, especially not the way that you do it. It's a, a sort of genre of photography that gets kind of ignored is is hair photography as opposed to just sort of standard beauty photography where a lot of people have that built-in idea of of what it is. Hair photography to me is really fascinating because there's a there's a whole art to the the collaborative process involved because it's surprisingly intricate and you know the concepts are usually quite strong. To be good with hair I think takes a lot more skill than people realize and that's coming from someone that's completely bald. But when it comes to doing hair photography, what's the difference in terms of challenge for you compared to makeup based beauty is, is hair harder is beauty harder which one do you prefer i mean hair is so hard and i really th- i 100 percent it's it's who you're working with and i find it easier to find makeup artists who are good um versus like hairstylists hair in itself is just a art form really and makeup is an art form as well but hair is just like to find a good hair solace is just it's gold it really is that's why i'm like i see like people who do hair and makeup and i do work with people that are gifted in both and they're you know incredibly talented but it's just it's a very rare thing because hair in itself and you know even them working with hair with like creating wind it's such a talent and it sounds so such a small and kind of a ridiculous thing like oh you know blowing wind through hair it's like it's not a difficult thing it doesn't seem like it anyway but it is feel like seeing the flow and like the movement of the hair and even creating the movement just like with it being still and just like the curls and how the hair cascades it's it's a it's it's like it's an art form really so it really ends up being about like who you're working with and making sure it's a collaborative process yeah i completely agree i think it's it's completely underestimated the difficulty involved on a technical sort of stand for the person that's trying to wrangle the hair and trying to make things sit exactly precisely intricately and then you know you're trying to factor in the lighting and, and everything else it's it's a it's a whole side of photography that i think doesn't get the recognition for the skill because maybe people were just a little bit, um, without wanting to be mean, a little bit clueless unless they've done it for themselves or they've seen it done um, firsthand and they've seen how hard it is. You've mentioned there about that kind of collaborative process and there's there's a, a whole section of your website, uh, if you go to your Beauty One section of your website, where there seems to be a real jump in terms of, like I, I don't want to say set design, but just in production value, in styling and you know, on top of having you know the great makeup artistry and the beautiful person and the nice lighting, there seems to be those little extra pieces on top especially with the styling and, and, you know, just generally speaking, the whole frame is filled with, with so much, and not just color, because obviously it works in the black and white images as well, but there's, there's so much to take from the image, whereas a beauty image can sometimes be, uh, you know, a very, very plain background with, a, you know, a person placed in front. So the, the frame is all, in, all pushed in towards the person. When it comes to those images where you've got that styling and um, a little bit more production value, how much do you have to train yourself in understanding what it is that you're trying to get from the shot so that you can communicate that with the stylist or, or is that something that kind of goes in the other direction? They're communicating that with you. Anytime, you know, anytime I start working with a wardrobe stylist or it, that goes for hair and makeup too. It's like, we, I come up with an idea in the beginning and I make a mood board and I pull images and I give them an overall tone of what I'm looking for. And then it ends up being, you know, a collaborative um, process with them. And if throughout, uh, I'll send them the location or, you know, if it's in studio um, and along the way, they'll send me pieces that they're pulling and kind of get my feedback as far as like, is this what we're looking for? Mm-hmm. Is this the direction that we want to go through? So it's it's really about like the communication and making sure that we're on the same page because things end up going south if people aren't on the same page. You know, the <laughs> whole point is like we we go through the pre-production so that on the shoot day, we're all on the same page and we know what the overall goal is. And that's my job as a photographer to, you know, be in communication with everyone. And, you know, you also want to give the room to, to experiment and to play and to, you know, have these 
off moments and you, or like, you know, combining things that we weren't sure about that actually end up working brilliantly. You've mentioned pre-production there. And that's something that I I think for like 99% of photographers, that's not something they even think about. They tend to pick up their camera when they want to take a picture and then they make all the decisions from the moment the camera's in their hand. You know, I don't want you to go too far out of your way to, to, to bore yourself to death here. But when it comes to pre-production, what is that process? Is that you sitting down or, you know, Zoom calling or however that works in 2021 and actually talking through with the person that has more creative control or the brand or the people you're collaborating with? Do you, does one person pitch an idea and everyone else gets to veto it? Or, you know, you, how does that work? I mean, if we're talking about like test shoots, I will come up with a concept. Um, And then I'll basically reach out to people and say, this is my concept. So I'll put together a mood board so that they can get the general idea of what the feeling is. And they're either into it or or they're not. Usually if it's a test shoot and I'm working with the same, you know, team, they're into it. So um, that's kind of like the process of where we get started. Because you want, you, you want people to be excited about the shoot. You don't want them to be walking into the unknown and being like, okay, what are we doing for the day? You know, they, I always give them a choice too of the, the model. Like, so I'll ask for model packages from different agencies and then I'll narrow it down to the people that I feel inspired by. And then from there, I'll give everyone the option because it's important for everyone to be excited about it. I don't, I don't get to be the only one that's excited about, about it. Like I want everyone to come on set and be super excited about the day and what the theme is. So, I mean, I think pre-production is really important and I spend a lot of time on pre-production. Um, you know, I, I do wish that I could be like the people that you're talking about where they can just pick up the camera and just kind of go with it. But, you know, that's just kind of the style of my work is a lot of production. It goes into it and a lot of thought. And, you know, sometimes depending on the shoot, it'll be weeks of production, you know? So it just really depends. Well, I think the pre-production shows up in the back end and, and there's a reason why a sort of cultural machine like you have in California runs the way that it does. It's not about making things take as long as possible or stretching things out for the sake of stretching them out. There are, there are obviously very important phases to this that really do add to the end product. And I think sometimes people think they can outthink that, especially if they're outside of that bubble. Um, you've mentioned there about not wanting to go in and have, you know, you don't want to go in and have a bad shoot and the pre-production helps you avoid that. But I'm imagining that at some point there's going to be difficult personalities that you're going to come across. People tend to, in the course of their lifetime, encounter other people that are difficult to work with. Or, you know, there's the outside concept of models being divas or people in the creative industry being very egocentric. Um, have you had any experiences that have been really hard to manage in the sense of personalities not getting along? And, and if you did, how did you get through it? I mean, I don't honestly encounter it as much anymore. I think more when I was starting out, I was encountering it a lot. Because I didn't, you know, it's just like, I think it was also on my end, like a lack of confidence and kind of just being more of like amateur (laughs) and, you know, maybe not having my portfolio really up to standards and people don't quite respect you or, you know, in the beginning, people will be like, well, how old are you? You know, like, it's kind of like they don't, they already communicate that they don't really trust you and they are doubtful of you. And that really kind of brings down the whole shoot because it brings down, you know, your mood. <laughs> so, I mean, that was something that I experienced more in my earlier years. Now it's like, it's not so much. And I think too, it's like, I'm more confident and I have like more of the social skills. And, you know, I always, go in with confidence. Um, that's like a big thing with me. It's like any, you know, anytime I'm doing like a conference shoot, I'm doing like, uh, a call anything like a conference call or discussion with a client. I'm doing a bid. Um, even the test shoot too, it ends up being like, I have to go in confidently or I'll, I'll go down (laughs) is basically what will happen. And I think that, I think if it's like, if you just believe in yourself and you have like the attitude to go along with it, you know, I think it ends up being a a reflective thing. 
you know, that you're displaying out and people kind of feed into that confidence. Like, oh, she knows what she's doing. So I feel confident too. Was there a point along the way where, you know, was there a particular image that you took or a particular job that you took on or just anything along the way that, that really you weren't, you know, there's the old expression of like fake it till you make it. And I think with confidence, that's a really, really good way to work. Go in and and if you like you said, if you project confidence, people people buy in and they feed to it, and then you actually manufacture your own confidence from it. Um, was there a point where you really went from wanting to seem confident or trying to make yourself feel confident to actually getting like a huge boost of confidence from something that you've done? I think it also just ends up being about like the amount of experience that you have, and that kind of brings on the confidence as well. You know, just I. When I first started, it was just kind of like, you're so inexperienced and you don't quite, you're kind of always just unsure of yourself that, you know, you, the more you shoot, the more, and the more things kind of turn out and experimenting and understanding, like, if I do this, the result will be this and feeling confident in that. Uh, that's really like what changes a lot of my of the perspective. And with your test shooting, um, something that I, I was told a long time ago before I started the podcast, when I was actually very, very new to working in photography at all, was your the, your portfolio is your shop window, essentially. And if you put out stuff that you don't want to be doing, that's all you're going to get booked for. You need to <sighs> you need to present work that is along along the lines of what it is that you want to be doing for a living. Otherwise, you're, you're advertising yourself to do something that's eventually going to grind you out and you're not going to be enjoying it anymore. When you're doing your test shoots, are you maybe edging them towards things that you would hope to be getting booked for in terms of like concept, working style, lighting or anything like that? Is it a case of trying to sort of speak into existence through test shooting? Yeah, definitely. For test shooting, you always should be like shooting for your dream clients. That's like, cause like I had mentioned before, like one of the times I get booked for my test shoots. So, you know, and with test shoots, you have more room for creativity and more room to do what you want to do versus, you know, someone telling you what they want from you, what they expect. Um, so anytime I'm sh- test shooting, I'm always shooting for a potential client that I'm hopeful for. And that's always kind of how I gear my shoots toward. Have you ever been booked for the wrong job in the sense of like, it's something I've encountered before where you get booked for something and then, you know, you, you t- in your case, I guess it would be turning up for pre-production, but I've turned up for the job and they basically want me to become someone that's completely different from my style of work, completely different from anything that I've done previously. And they've almost booked you on the, on the basis that I guess all photographers are just photographers and they're all completely malleable. Have you ever been kind of misbooked? Um, that's an interesting question. Um, I want to say no, which is, I guess, pretty lucky. But I mean, there's some point, there have been some shoots where I end up shooting like product and I'm not really like a product photographer, but like mm-hmm. I understand lighting and I understand, you know, the styling aspect and composition and I can kind of just go with it. So I guess in those cases, it has happened, but not to the extreme where like I show up on set and I'm like, wait, <laughs> what is this? I, <laughs> this is not me at all. And I don't know what I'm doing. So luckily it hasn't been quite an experience that I've had to deal with. You mentioned about doing test shoots, the the shoots that you're doing in your own time geared towards clients that you'd like to get sort of shooting for your dream clients or shooting in that, in that direction. I guess this is a general question and it's not really fair to put this on you, but I'm not a very nice person. So we'll give it a go. Do you feel like beauty is as a, as a genre of photography, do you think that you could be a beauty photographer as a hobby and never take it as a profession? Because it feels like it's very, very geared towards commercialization and it being a job in itself. Do you feel like it's something that people could do as a hobby without ever having to take it to that next step? It seems, I mean, I get, I think you could do anything as a hobby. Um, but for like beauty in particular, it's just kind of like, why would you, it's like you said, it's like, it's pretty technical and there's a lot of little details along with the retouching and just like 
the pre-production and the planning, it almost seems like, I mean, you can do it as a hobby, but it would be a very <laughs> detailed and <laughs> difficult hobby to the point. It's like, well, why wouldn't you want to go fully go into it and that have it be your goal? I'm, I'd be buried alive if I didn't talk about retouching with a beauty photographer. Your retouching is fantastic. It's, it, it's a, such a, a touchy subject at the moment because there seems to be a big ethics movement with regard to sort of magazine covers and body positivity and so on. Uh, it seems to be a little bit of a lopsided argument because people don't seem to be particularly focused on on both possible issues, you know, I, I I really feel like I got to walk on eggshells with this, but in terms of like you know your your stance on retouching, obviously things have to be clean and clinical and stuff. But do you have any kind of ethical stance on on what retouching can and can't be? I mean, I make it a habit to always ask before I shoot, right? Like the modeling agency, what is issues beauty ready is something I ask a lot. Um, I mean, I don't want to have to retouch someone's whole face because they're, you know, breaking out at that, at that point of time. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's like, I would never book a girl who, you know, for a beauty shoot, if, um, if I'm going to have to completely retouch it. So I've been trying to lean more towards like the minimal, more natural retouching. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there is a, a slight issue with completely retouching someone's face, you know, in that capacity. And I, I am into this whole movement right now where, you know, less is more as far as retouching. Um, I think it's, a, I think it's important to kind of show that, you know, having acne is not a big deal. And I've been yeah. totally, you know, I look at images all day long and seeing like perfect faces, it can, it can be a little daunting, you know, when your, your skin isn't great and you have to go out in public and you're feeling insecure about it, you know? So this whole movement is, I think is pretty incredible right now with, you know, body positivity, um, a lot of acceptance, you know, I think it's a, an important time right now. I mean, I'm not someone that's in the right cultural hub or even, I guess, on the right side of the, the gender spectrum to sort of talk about this. But to me, and, and I'm absolutely fine with being wrong here, but the, the, initial, um, the initial thing that jumped out at me was it feels like it would be a good idea to try and find a way to instill in, in younger people, and I mean young, young, younger people, especially younger girls, to stop looking for validation. To, to, to learn to be more accepting of yourself as opposed to looking for everyone else to, to pat you on the back. Because the problem is in life, if you, if you completely cotton wool someone from rejection, it's actually going to make rejection significantly worse when it does come around and it will happen to everybody. And I, I feel like this, it, it kind of feels like we're, we're trying to cotton wool life a little bit. And in a way, obviously, I'm not talking in all circumstances, there's some hilarious retouching that's been done over the years. And I think we really hit the peak of it in about 2007. Although if you just go on any Instagram search page and you go through and see all of the pictures that are generally taken on Sony's, you get to see some interesting skin tones and, and liquefying um, attempts. But it just feels to me like we're focused too much on always needing to protect people from the, the difficulties that they're going to face in life because it's only going to make it harder. It's kind of, it, to me, it kind of feels like similar to what is probably quite a fitting conversation at the moment, which is, you know, if you don't let your kid go and play in mud, you don't let your kid get a little bit sick every once in a while, they don't build up the antibodies. And then when they do get sick, it hits them significantly harder. And I feel like sometimes self-esteem does need help with with recovery and it does need to be knocked down so you can learn to to feel better about yourself. And maybe looking away from external factors, um, people could be a lot happier if they would stop looking, if they would stop looking for everyone else to kind of manipulate themselves around them because I don't see that being a long-term solution to the problem. And I think once, you know, all magazine covers start covering the full gamut of possibilities and once TV shows start doing that and so on, I still think there's going to be that issue when that rejection does inevitably come in the real world outside of, you know, media that it's going to be hard for them to deal with. And 
You know, one thing I would say as well is, is is it's an interesting thing that it's not being pushed so much on the male side of things. I don't know about in California, obviously, because I'm in England, but there's obviously some severe mental health problems that are happening on the male end of the spectrum that are just being kind of glossed over. So it's it's, it's just an interesting kind of discussion and probably something that's too big for a photography podcast. So I should probably have just curbed that a little bit earlier, but that's <laughs> fine. <laughs> um, in terms of there's okay there's there's a couple of things I do have to jump on which are very lighthearted and I uh, basically just want to find out a couple of things for myself here. Um, on your about page, you talk about the things that you enjoy outside of photography, and I do think for anyone that's working in any creative industry, it's good to have something outside of it because a lot of people they go from having something as their hobby to making it their job because they love it. And then they don't have an escape. Um, you, li- you list two things that really jump out at me because they're basically the two things that I use as an escape. One being dogs and the other being baking. How important is it for you to have that release and that, that outside uh, escape from what you're doing in your day-to-day life? Especially like during a pandemic. I mean, my amount <laughs> that I shot too was so decreased. I mean, from, I mean, we're coming up on a year. Like we started locking down. I don't know about in the UK, you know, about mid-March. Yep. Same. And, you know, so, I mean, the amount that I've shot has decreased significantly and, and I got really sick in May and I was out for months because of that. Um, but I mean, I really had to ask myself the question. I mean, my whole world revolves around photography. It runs, it re- revolves around my job. And it's also, it's not just like a job to me. I don't really clock out. You know, I'm always constantly thinking about it. Like, what's the next thing? What, what else do I want to shoot? Oh, this is interesting. I mean, so during this time, I've really had to ask myself the question of like, well, what else do I enjoy? And I think I really had a hard time with it. Right. Finding other things that brought me joy besides um, photography. So, I mean, it, you know, I love it. It's really important for me to find like inspiration outside of photography. Like I love like the art of food has been, and I'm not like a great cook or anything. And I, I do like baking, but I mean, I love the, the art form of food. And, right. you know, seeing the way that pe- how creative people are with food and like different cuisines around the world. It's, it's really inspiring. Um, so, I mean, I love watching like chef's table is like my, one of my favorites. Um, I love like hearing the backstory of like how these chefs are creating their dishes and like the ingredients and like where they're sourcing, um, their, their products. And, uh, so that is, very inspirational to me. Um, I hobby bake and I'm like a big foodie. So I love that. (laughs) I love that world. And then also just, you know, hiking and nature is also a big inspiration to me too. Like getting out and being around, you know, I, I guess like what you said, I'm really blessed to live in LA. So we pretty much have pretty great weather year round. Um, so being able to like enjoy that and soak it in and going to different places to like hike and be outdoors with my dogs and my husband, it's, you know, it's always amazing or doing that with friends as well. I mean, you're just rubbing in with the weather now. I feel like you're just picking on me because <laughs> of English, but what, what's the dogs? What, what dogs do you have? <laughs> um, we have one German Shepherd and a pit bull. Amazing. Names. We've got to have names as well. We've got to have names. <laughs> um, the German Shepherd's name is Vesta. She's a rescue. And then Frankie is a pit bull. He's a rescue as well. Um, we did have another German Shepherd, but he passed in November. And his name oh, was I'm sorry. Kaiser. Yeah. So it's never easy losing an animal, but. <laughs> Yeah. No, not at all. I mean, I wouldn't have got through lockdown if it wasn't for, I have uh, an incredibly contrasting long-haired chihuahua called Chica, who's like <laughs> my, da- my daughter at this point. And honestly, the lockdown would have been almost impossible without her. And I think people misunderstand that. You know, what you talked about there and, and finding inspiration outside of photography, and it's not just a case of inspiration that you're going to take into photography, but just something that kind of keeps your mood up and keeps your spirits up. As you said, especially during a pandemic is, is incredibly important. Uh, last couple of questions and I'll give you your freedom back. You can go and enjoy the sunshine. 
<laughs> what is your most and least favorite parts of beauty photography? Um, my favorite, I mean, it's just, I feel like it's almost like, it's just a whole process. I think it's just, you know, it's just like a seed that starts in the beginning and then it kind of goes from there as far as, you know, just all the aspects of working with models and like the hair and makeup. I love working with a team. I think that's really like my favorite part about what I do is working with a team and having it be like a collaborative um, process. Like I love hearing the ideas that other people have and kind of all of us like weaving it together. Um, I love like the storytelling of photography, um, just every aspect of it, like the lighting, the styling, the, the makeup, the little subtle choices that can really make a big difference to the overall aesthetic of the shoot. I mean, there's so many great things about photography and just shooting in general. It's such a process and I love the process. You know, I love everything from the beginning to the end. Um, I guess the negatives it's because it's because I'm English. I have to talk about the negatives. It's the only way we yeah. survive. <laughs> um, I mean, I think before I really h- hated the process of retouching, and I think the I think it's good if you're going into beauty photography to always in the beginning retouch your own images. I think the reason why I've been able to get better, I think is because I've retouched, you know, um, I'm, I retouched my own images for, for years. And then I was professionally retouching as well on the side. And I just kind of realized like, I don't want to retouch anymore. And I have like a really amazing retoucher that I only use one retoucher. And I feel like she just knows me and she knows my work and she knows what I like and she knows how I want things. And that's like, it's really important to me. Um, but I guess it was the retouching that I really disliked. And I think it's because I'm not a great retoucher. I think I'm pretty good. Um, but in comparison to like the retoucher that I'm working with now, it just makes me realize like, it's not really for me. Um, I really <laughs> love the, I, I love spending time on the shoot. And that's what was holding me back before was because the retouching, I was a pretty slow retoucher. Um, Mm -hmm. It was basically consuming all my time. And I wasn't able to shoot as much as I wanted because I didn't want to be so backlogged with the retouching. Yeah. So, but I think retouching, if you're going to start out doing beauty, it's really important for you to do the retouching because you'll realize that when you zoom up, or you're, you know, having to fix the issues that you weren't paying attention to on, on the shoot. Um, it's like important to have those, like that learning that like at the time of the shoot, everything, the details need to be there. So like the lip needs to be filled in. The eyeliner has to be on point, you know, it's important to see the full picture so that later on it doesn't need to be fixed. The whole point is to minimize like the the amount of retouching that you have to do. Did you find the first time you worked with the retoucher to be quite daunting that you were kind of scared to hand over what you'd worked on to someone else to see how they would interpret it? Or was that something you were just quite excited to get off your plate? I was really hesitant. I I was approached by and still am. I'm approached by a lot of retouchers. And in the beginning, um, I tried out a few different retouchers and, you know, they would either do really great job on the first image and then just kind of fall off afterwards. Mm-hmm. Or they were just the process of how they were doing it. It was just like, it was either like over retouched where it was just like, didn't look real. And I I hated that, you know, or it was just like sloppy. It was, it took me a while to find the retoucher that I'm working with now. And I've worked with her for, I think we're coming up on three years now. Mm -hmm. And, um, she's, she's just amazing. And, and, um, just reliable too. I need to work with someone that has good communication 
as well and will be reliable. And she lives in, you know, she lives in Poland right now. So, I mean, we're on completely different time zones. And um, at first I was a little hesitant about that, but I mean, she's has never let me down. Um, in the beginning too, I had this whole idea that if I didn't retouch my images, it meant, it almost meant like they weren't as much mine. And I think I I had to let that go because it's, it's really not true. And I think that people do feel like that. Like, Oh, if I have someone else retouch my images, it's like, it's really, it's not my image anymore. Like I didn't work as hard on it or, or some kind of idea like that. And it's just something that eventually you just kind of have to let go. And something I've seen over the last the last year, talking to a lot of people like yourself who work either with the cosmetics industry or they work with the fashion industry, in whatever respect, there seems to have been a bit of a hit, the the work that's available to photographers like yourself as a result of um, the rise of the kind of social media influencer. So the, the person that's just making a, a video on their phone or taking a picture on their phone um, using the same ring light, it apparently seems. Um, and then uploading it to a social media account that has so many followers that a lot of, it feels like a lot of advertisers are kind of bypassing the photographic industry and just going for whatever gets the most reach as cheaply and as quickly as possible. Is that something that you think is like detrimental to the industry? And is it something that's actually affected you um, in the work that you do? Um, I don't think it has affected me. It's, I think it's just a different I I can see why people are using like influencers and their images as advertisement, but I also feel like photographers can use that as, I don't want to say like a lesson, but like, I mean, the images that that social media influencers are producing, I think people can relate more to them just because it's, it's like more of the mood of, this natural kind of setting it it feels more in the moment and i feel like i've been able to take that and say okay things are changing you know in the industry as far as beauty too like people are leaning more towards natural uh you know unretouched kind of in the moment feelings versus you know more studio lighting kind of this cold kind of um feeling and over retouched etc I mean, with the social media thing too, I mean, these influencers, it's, it's like a hard, it's like a line too. And I've had discussions with my friends about it. It ends up being like these social media influencers too are like creating this ideal life and it's not real. And I think it, I think people are going to start realizing it's pretty damaging to, especially like young people and people who are just getting started on social media. It's like, it's a really weird time. And I always kind of say, I'm happy for the time that I was able, I mean, social media came out when I was in high school and it wasn't like a huge thing back then. I mean, now it's like young people are seeing these accounts and thinking that this is real life. I think as well, like over here, we've got it where uh, it feels like the, the government is starting to step in a little bit and sort of crack down on that misleading advertisement that's being done by circumventing the rules by going straight to an individual with an Instagram account. I think that some of the the editing is being stepped on and some of the promotion is being stepped on because obviously it's it's an area that hasn't existed previously to maybe the last five, six years where there's been governing bodies that have to work out how to control the honesty of advertisements that completely completely go round the the normal system of doing things. So I think it's going to catch up in that sense. But it's just it's fascinating that, you know, for for years people complained about infomercials being cheesy and terrible and then when someone becomes an influencer, they do the infomercial thing. And it's kind of, it's just kind of an interesting, interesting setup. Like you said, there's there's so much distance between reality and what you're seeing on a lot of influencer accounts. It's actually quite damaging, I think, um, especially to people that are believing it. Let's finish on a positive because I've given you far too much negative on this one. And that's entirely my fault. Your work's beautiful. You're a wonderful person. You have that lovely accent. Your name is even Joy. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. <laughs> 
I'm a big believer of speaking things into existence and, and you know, if you, if you don't put it out there, it can't possibly happen. Um, you've mentioned a few times about like dream clients, dream jobs, maybe dream people to photograph. What's the, what's the dream for you? Who do you have in front of your camera and who are you shooting for? My big thing was like, I wanted to have an ad in Sephora, like in the stores. And I've done that. And it's been amazing. I don't really feel like I want to have like an end destination of like, you know, once I get this, like it's, that's like going to be my high point. So, so basically like, I just feel like it's, it's as the projects come. I just, I really want to get to the point too. Like, I think I got to the point where like, so I was really busy, you know, I, I've had like, this list of people that I wanted to shoot for. And I've, I've shot for some of them and it's been really exciting, but with the pandemic, it's been like a really, I think for a lot of people, like a really hard blow to the ego with like things slowing down, you know, a lot of people like, you know, mental health isn't great. Um, in America, like we've really gone been going through like a crisis with like our government So really, I want to look at it from the point of like, you know, every shoot, whether it's like something small or, you know, maybe a bigger client or something really, you know, big that's going to go into Sephora or maybe in the magazine. Like, I really just want to take every job as like something that I'm really excited about, no matter what it is. The most important part of the podcast is that we basically turn me into an algorithm and I force as many people to like what I like so that there just becomes more of it. And I'm just forever running a self-serving podcast that creates more work that I like. So we need to tell people where they can go to find all of your amazing work. Um, so best places to go, Instagram, website, and so on. Please plug away. Okay. So my website is joywongphotography.com and my Instagram is at joy.wong. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I actually have it written in my notes not to use the word joy as an adjective, but you have been a joy. Um, thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much. Watching all the lovers fall into